Thank you for listening to NASA's Curious Universe. If you're new to the show and excited to learn more about the universe around us, welcome. You're in the right place. We're hard at work making new episodes, but we just wanted to stop for a minute and say thank you. We're very happy to have you here. And we have some good news for you. We have over 50 episodes exploring all sorts of fun topics, from human spaceflight to astrophysics and more. Whether you're a total space nerd or a first-time space explorer, I'm telling you, there is a Curious Universe episode for you. So find your favorite episode at nasa.gov slash curiousuniverse or wherever you listen to podcasts. So glad you found us. Thanks, and enjoy the show. We're lucky to be living at a time when we can learn more about our planet, our solar system, and the universe at large than ever before. Powerful telescopes, satellites, and far-flung spacecraft are collecting new insights about our world every day. But professional scientists and their computers can only do so much to make sense of it all. That's where you come in. You, whoever you are, listening to this podcast. No matter where you are or what your background is, you can volunteer to help make discoveries through what we call citizen science projects. Thousands of people worldwide are already participating, and professional scientists are very grateful for their contributions. So it's this fantastic, like, symbiotic relationship where the citizen scientists get to, like, learn and participate in the science, and the scientists get all of these insights and, and, oh, this thing is interesting, and I don't know what it is. That's Emily Mason, research scientist at an organization called Predictive Science. She uses NASA data to study the mysteries of the sun and runs a citizen science project. And a lot of the time, the scientists are like, we don't know what that is either. Thank you for finding that. <laughs> so it's, um, it's really great. And having fresh eyes on a data set is always useful. And having thousands of fresh eyes on a data set is even better. This is NASA's Curious Universe. Our universe is a wild and wonderful place. I'm your host, Patty Boyd, and in this podcast, NASA is your tour guide. In this episode, we're going to hear from three people for whom citizen science has played a big role in their lives. A professional scientist who runs a citizen science project about the sun. A military vet who found comfort in looking for disks around other stars. And a college student whose love of data science started with trying to catch mosquitoes. We'll find out how each one of them got started with their projects and how they see the world differently because of them. You can find links to all of the citizen science projects we mention in the transcript for this episode at nasa.gov. For sensitive listeners, this story includes descriptions of anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder. Emily Mason had been interested in astronomy as a child, but when she got to college, she became interested in completely unrelated topics. In 2011, she earned an undergraduate degree in Asian studies. I had graduated and was supposed to go to Taiwan to start my master's degree in cross-strait relations, and Curiosity landed on Mars. We're down to 86 meters per second at an altitude of four kilometers and descending. And there were the six, minute, six or seven minutes of terror, whatever it was, where you watched it like, come down and eject the different parts, and everyone was like, oh, God, don't crash. Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. 
and I sat up all night watching that with my mom. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I went into the wrong field. So I canceled my plane ticket and re-enrolled at the University for Astrophysics. Emily realized she loved space so much, she wanted to go back to school immediately. During her second time around in college, she discovered a citizen science project called Planet Hunters. Planet Hunters invites members of the public to look for exoplanets, which are planets around other stars. Users see graphs called light curves that show the amount of light coming from a star over time. If the amount of light dips and then comes back up, that could be a sign that a planet has crossed in front of a star in an event called a transit. I was living at home to, to do the degree program again, and um, I, I was just going bonkers. All my friends had gone home, you know, left the dorms for the winter, and so I was sitting in my house just going stir-crazy, and I found this, so then I was just, like, sitting there for days in my pajamas, like, frantically categorizing light curves. The telescope data for planet hunters first came from NASA's Kepler Space Telescope, which retired in 2018, and then from the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, or TESS, which is gathering observations right now. Those missions are both very dear to my heart, since I was a member of the science teams for both of them. And together, they've discovered thousands of exoplanets in our galaxy. While scientists like me use computers and sophisticated algorithms to look for exoplanets, we can't catch everything. Computers are excellent at finding exactly what you tell them to look for, but they aren't perfect at spotting the signatures of some planet transits that can become hidden in messy stellar data. By looking at individual data plots with their eyes and noting the ones that look potentially interesting, citizen scientists have helped discover new planets through programs like Planet Hunters. I, I remember them identifying the first confirmed exoplanet and being like, this is amazing, there's other planets out there. And during my own like lifetime, we went from oh, most stars don't have planets, to, okay, some of them might, to, oh my God, they're everywhere. And, and getting to participate in that realization that this is so much more likely that there are other Earth-like planets out there than we thought initially was, uh, was really exciting. Planet Hunters made science seem fun and relaxing, while Emily's astrophysics degree program felt challenging and stressful. I am not a mathy person at heart, and I remember the first year, like, debating whether I should give up just because it was, it was so hard. During that difficult time, Planet Hunters was mostly a diversion. But Emily says that it also... Kind of reminded me of, like, why I wanted to go into the field in the first place. So Emily kept at it, earning that degree, and later a Ph.D., she also followed her passion for space to a series of internships at NASA. For two summers, she worked on projects relating to those beautiful displays in the sky called aurorae, and then a third summer looking at predicting solar cycles. After a postdoctoral research fellowship, Emily's interest in the inner workings of the sun led her to start a citizen science project of her own called Solar Active Region Spotter. An active region is an area of the sun that has a very strong magnetic field. It's also associated with sunspots. Because different parts of the sun rotate at different speeds, 
scientists have a hard time tracking individual active regions over time. Part of how we define a solar cycle and solar activity is by how many active regions you have or don't have at a given time. You get more of them as we head towards solar maximum, and some of them only last like a week, and some of them can last for months. Active regions also hold clues about one of the biggest mysteries of our solar system, something scientists call the coronal heating problem. The coronal heating problem overall is basically that the surface of the sun is much, much cooler than the atmosphere, and that's the opposite of how it usually works, where you, as you get further away from something hot, it gets cooler. NASA's Solar Dynamics Observatory, or SDO, has taken amazing imagery of these active regions in ultraviolet wavelengths that teach scientists about solar activity. What you see is these big knots. It looks like a, a cat went at a bunch of yarn or something. Um, these big bundles of loops um, that will open almost like the petals on a flower. You can see filaments that are these long, snaky-looking things of really dark, cool plasma that build up over time. They're really beautiful to look at when they're not doing something, and they're fascinating when they are doing something. There's way more data to comb through than scientists have time to look at by eye. And computers aren't great at identifying these regions. To help scientists like Emily in their work on this mystery, more than 500 volunteers looked through satellite imagery and magnetic field data from the sun to see where the active regions were and track them over time. We showed them a four-panel image. Two of the panels belonged to the active region when it was first identified, and the other two panels next to it were the active region that we thought was the same one on the next rotation about a month later. So we showed them the extreme ultraviolet images from SDO on the top that showed the corona, the atmosphere, like with the big pretty loops. And the bottom panels were the magnetic field data, which is far from intuitive <laughs> um, and took a lot of explaining. And it was much more complex than most of the citizen science projects out there. Our volunteers just tackled it head on. They were just so enthusiastic. And they actually went through over 12,000 classifications in a little under five weeks. The Solar Active Region Spotters project is currently on a break since the volunteers got through the first data set. Emily and her colleagues are now combing through all of the work that the citizen scientists did to come up with new insights and conclusions about the sun. Emily is still in awe of the sun and a huge amount of data that we can collect about it. She also appreciates the role that citizen scientists play to help pave the way to new understanding. Even in this age of powerful computers and artificial intelligence, humans are still unique and important. The human eye is still far and away the best at picking out patterns and picking out which patterns are important. Even if you don't necessarily understand all the implications of a data set, you can look at something and go, that doesn't look like the other ones. And a computer just can't do that. Computers can't do that because despite all the sophisticated ways scientists can train them, they're still not perfect at picking out all the patterns in large, complicated data sets. 
In many circumstances, human intuition still wins out. I don't think we're anywhere near replacing a human's ability to look at something and go, that's interesting or that's important. And um, citizen science is a great way to honor that. Some citizen scientists end up becoming super users, going beyond the casual dip in a project. For them, citizen science is a hobby that connects them not only with the science itself, but with a community of people who are passionate about solving the mysteries of our universe. We're going to meet one super user who found citizen science at a particularly rough point in his life. Yeah, I'm Danny Roylance uh, from Salt Lake City, Utah, and I participate in citizen science. Danny is a U.S. military veteran living in Utah. He has struggled with anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder, a condition in which people who have experienced traumatic events have distressing thoughts, feelings, and dreams. I was actually afraid to go to sleep. I'd walk into the bedroom and feel fear because of the dreams I would have, because it'd be, you know, it's like being tortured at night. Danny has also experienced periods of homelessness. I couldn't stay in a relationship for any length of time. I, I, uh, I couldn't stay at a job for very long, you know, because um, there would be days and then it was it, the, uh, the anxiety on you know, straight up panic attacks would hit me so hard. I would, I would be on tracks, you know, the public transportation and I would get off and get back on go back home because it would just be growing and I couldn't go to work. It just got more magnified the more I was in public and around crowds. Danny doesn't remember exactly how he learned about citizen science. It might have been on TV or on the radio. However it happened, he ended up looking through different projects that use NASA data. Something called Disk Detective caught his eye. No, it's not about looking in your basement for a mix CD your friend made in high school. Disk Detective volunteers look for excess infrared light from very young stars, which could indicate that there's a disk of material around them. These disks are where planets might someday be born. The data come from NASA's Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, or WISE telescope, which now operates under the name NEOWISE and other surveys. I was reading through them all, and I was reading about the disk detective, and then I clicked on it and then read more. And I thought, oh, man, discover, you know, disk around young stars, you know, at the birthing of a uh, solar system. I thought it was awesome. So I started doing it. Once Danny had classified 200 objects, a moderator for Disk Detective invited him to apply to become a super user. By this point, he had also taught himself how to look at different data sets to cross-reference what he was seeing in the Disk Detective interface. And then I got accepted and got sent the, here's our weekly meetings. The first video call with other super users was scary for Danny. He was dealing with a lot of anxiety around talking to strangers. But soon he looked forward to the next one. You know, having a time and a place to meet online for a Zoom meeting, you know, to, find, to discover that what I was doing actually mattered in this world. You know, I mattered. You know, my thoughts, my opinions mattered. So I, I wasn't isolated anymore. 
The super users go through the list of objects that a lot of the disk detective volunteers identified as maybe having a disk around them to see if it's worth studying them in more detail. So our calls on that usually are on how complete, how far through the list are we? You know, because we're working through that list of making sure that this is a candidate, this is not a candidate, this has, we should follow up with this. And then that gets handed off to the, the, the science team itself. The professional science leadership of Disk Detective might then decide to write up a proposal to use other telescopes to check out the objects that the volunteers marked as noteworthy. Through following up with professional scientists and other telescopes, disk detective participants have discovered something new and interesting. There are some stars and brown dwarfs called Young Stellar Objects, or YSOs, that have a disk of gas and dust around them, even though they should be too old for those disks to still be there. The participants have coined a name for this phenomenon, Peter Pan Disks. You know, the YSOs that just don't want to grow up. Citizen scientists who made big contributions to this discovery even got their names listed on scientific papers as co-authors. Pretty exciting. Disc Detective speaks to Danny's curiosity about how planets are born. I've always liked high-energy astrophysics, you know, like black holes and supernovas, but the, also just something about the idea of potentially an entire civilization is going to be born here. You know, I mean, it, 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 you're watching dust and gas come together and make a solar system. It's really neat. Danny has been through intensive recovery programs to improve his mental health and well-being. But he also credits citizen science with helping him feel more connected with others and less afraid to be around people. Earlier this year, Danny presented a poster about a new project called Burst Chaser at a citizen science conference in Phoenix. Participating in the meeting in person was a huge personal milestone for him. I mean, I went from not being able to take out my garbage just because I didn't want to go out my door to flying to Phoenix last month to, pre to present that poster. It's kind of hard to explain, I guess, that line to step over when you're feeling your anxiety really high, but you step across it anyway. You know, it's kind of like you feel the fear, but you do it anyway. And it helps a lot if you have a sense of purpose and a sense of passion. And I, I, I can't imagine I'm the only one. NASA doesn't only need help from volunteers to study what's out there beyond our planet. There are also programs that can get you outside and exploring here on Earth. Like GLOBE, the Global Learning and Observations to Benefit the Environment program. The GLOBE Observer app include citizen science projects like locating mosquito habitats, identifying types of clouds, and observing land cover and tree height. Citizen science opens up this door for a wide variety of people across the world to try and uh, give it a crack at like doing science and you know making meaningful contributions to our knowledge base. Matteo Camara got involved in globe observer projects through a high school program called STEM Enhancement in Earth Sciences 
run by NASA, the University of Texas at Austin, and the Texas Space Grant Consortium. This was in the summer of 2020, and because of the COVID-19 pandemic, the program itself was all virtual. But because of the citizen science component, Mateo got to spend time outside getting to know his environment in a new way. One of the projects that really interested me was this mosquito habitat mapping project. And um, it was particularly interesting because I grew up in Brazil. Uh, mosquitoes are a huge problem there. And um, for me, it seemed like a very interesting thing to try and contribute to. Basically, if you identify a body of water that you think is a potential um, source of mosquitoes, you take pictures of it, it records the location of it, um, the time, so that researchers can, you know, look at that later. And also, if you find larvae of mosquitoes, you can usually collect them and then analyze them later. Even though most people want nothing to do with mosquitoes, it was a little disappointing for Mateo that in high school, he no longer lived in a place where they're rampant. Unfortunately, I lived in Texas, so it was very much dry there. Um, so there weren't that much standing water, but I did a lot of traps where you basically cut open a water bottle and you can sort of configure it in a special way where mosquitoes will lay their eggs in it, but the uh, larvae can't get out. Then you put like different types of baits like grass or other things and you leave it out and you check on them like every day. He only caught larvae once or twice. In all of his mosquito-related efforts, he didn't even get bitten. Fortunately for me, because um, that means that there aren't as much of a mosquito problem where I was living. This project and others taught Mateo a lot about the process of doing science. One thing that surprised him was that when it comes to citizen science observations, even noticing the lack of something, whether it's mosquitoes, clouds, or exoplanet transits, is noteworthy and useful. From my point of view of more of like an engineer, it's like, oh, if there's bad data, we might as well just trash it. But in terms of the citizen science point of view, every data point is really important. Another citizen science component of his summer program involved land cover observations. In other words, figuring out what type of land is where. Following instructions on the Globe Observer app, Mateo explored the area near his house in depth. You go out there, you take pictures in like all the directions so that um, someone can later look at that and have a very close up view of what kind of land looks like at that time and place. My area is suburban, but very close to rural. It's fun to just be surrounded by like grass and like flowers. And there's some areas like little ponds and like rivers and streams that I just didn't notice were there. And then, you know, when I was exploring, I would just come across them and I was like, oh, that's always been there. And I just never noticed. Mateo wanted to get even more involved after the summer program ended. Because I got so much context with working with this data, um, I decided that I could probably contribute more in terms of the data analysis and, you know, that type of work. And so I reached out to a lot of the people that ran the program, and uh, we began working for, I think, two years after that, nonstop on, like, different really fun projects using this uh, citizen science data. Today, Mateo is an undergraduate student at Caltech in Pasadena, California. He spoke to us from the recording studio at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory. How cool is that?
currently doing applied math, which is mainly about modeling, I think is my interest in it, is it provides us the tools to try and model things. You know, getting to look at the data and seeing certain trends, uh, like made me want to try and study the tools that I could use to try and figure out what was actually going on. Mateo may be done with mapping the land in his neighborhood, but citizen science gave him a head start in what it means to make observations and analyze data. Someday he hopes to use that skill set to work on robotic spacecraft that explore the solar system. I am an engineer at heart, and I think that the thing that makes me passionate is enabling this kind of science, like by sending you know, robots to other moons and stuff like that. I think the essence of what excites me and what um, I find interesting I certainly will encounter again in the path that I keep uh, pursuing. There's a huge range of projects that you can check out. You might just get inspired, like Emily, Danny, and Matteo did, in ways you never expected. Here are some final thoughts from them as more and more missions are returning these huge amounts of data. There's far more data than there are scientists actually like capable of putting eyes on it. You don't have to know a lot about it. You, you could just be curious about something. It, it could be anything from astrophysics down to uh, weather type things. Citizen science is really effective because of the diverse set of people that contribute to it whether it is you have an interesting area to study or an interesting set of skills that you think can be useful. All those things certainly help move this field forward and it's the reason why you know, citizen science is so special. This is NASA's Curious Universe. This episode was written and produced by Liz Landau. Our executive producer is Katie Conins. The Curious Universe team includes Christian Elliott, Jacob Pinter, Maddie Olson, and Michaela Sosby. Our theme song was composed by Matt Russo and Andrew Santaguida of System Sounds. Christopher Kim is our show artist. Special thanks to Mark Kushner, Tahira Allen, Leslie Mullen, and The Globe Project. You can download the Globe Observer app if you'd like to try mapping mosquito habitats, land use, and more. And for a full list of citizen science projects associated with NASA, including others you've heard about in this episode, visit science.nasa.gov citizen science. If you liked this episode, please let us know by leaving us a review and sharing NASA's Curious Universe with a friend. And remember, you can follow NASA's Curious Universe in your favorite podcast app, to get a notification each time we post a new episode. Disc Detective Volunteers. Disc Detective Volunteers. Disc Detective Volunteers. Something called Disc Detective caught his eye. No, it's not about looking in your basement. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> hey, Curious Universe listeners. Are you interested in more great stories from NASA? Our friends over at NASA TV have a big announcement. NASA is launching an on-demand streaming platform. It's called NASA Plus. You can watch NASA's Emmy award-winning live coverage, new original TV shows, and even listen to podcasts all in one place. The best part? 
There's no subscription required, and it costs nothing. You can find NASA Plus on most major platforms through the NASA app, on iOS and Android mobile and tablet devices, also on streaming media players like Roku, Apple TV, and Fire TV, and online on all kinds of desktop and mobile devices. Stay tuned and stay curious.